Today on Sagittarian Matters, advice on three ways and romantic partnership with my guest, Carrie Brownstein. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from San Francisco. Producer Ponyo and I just did a reading at Pegasus Books with National Treasure Mariko Tamaki and Alien of Exceptional Ability Gemma Carell. Thank you to everyone who came out and got their book signed. Thank you to Mr. Pickles and Bella, Gemma's Pugs, for coming out and everybody who brought their dog. There were a lot of dogs. There were dogs barking throughout my reading. It was kind of incredible. And also, Mr. Pickles was snorting really loudly through my reading. And a dog named Cooper got too close to producer Ponyo's travel bag. And Ponyo was baring her teeth in a way that I think could be bad for her brand. So um, that's what happened. In other news, uh, this morning, producer Ponyo and I were staying at a house with two other small dogs. And it was discovered that there was a chocolate wrapper on the floor for an 88% dark chocolate. Of course, I'm a hippie who eats 88% dark chocolate. So the morning was spent calling emergency vet clinics, taking the dog's heart rates, and frantic Googling of the chocolate-to-dog weight ratio. You'll be happy to know that producer Ponyo is fine. The other two dogs also seem fine, but whenever your dog eats chocolate, it is very harrowing. And other, other, other news, of course, of course I heard about the dog in the overhead bin. If you're just tuning into life and you are very sensitive to animals, you can just skip ahead by like a minute or two. But what happened was a woman on a flight, a United flight, had her French bulldog in a bag. The flight attendant wanted her to put it in the overhead bin. I think maybe it didn't fit under the seat or something. So the woman didn't want to, but she did it. The dog barked for a while, stopped barking. They opened the bin at the end of the flight and the dog was dead. People were live tweeting it. People were taking pictures, posting them online. Everybody got down on the flight attendant, who is certainly a monster. But the more I thought about this story, as Ponyo and I got ready to go to San Francisco, the more I thought, hey, there's like no way on God's green earth that I would put Ponyo in the overhead bin, even if someone with authority told me to. I would get off the plane, um, because you can't really talk back to airline attendants. But, um... Also, there were so many people around that were tweeting about it. I was really surprised, the more I thought about it, that nobody else opened the bin. That people sitting next to her, sitting around her, sitting near her, the other flight attendants, the captain, like, nobody opened the bin. People tweeted, talked, shook their heads, but the dog was suffocating alone. Anyway, it felt like a weird metaphor for our times where people are documenting atrocities from a few steps away, and it feels like tweeting is their way of being brave but i wonder if there's another way of being brave that could be opening the bin and risking getting yelled at by a flight attendant i don't know uh that's my like uh, apple box that i'm standing on today as i think about that because producer ponyo flies with me all the time um i do want to give you a shout out about her bag it's called it's by a brand called tuto t-u-t-t-o they do not sponsor me i wish they did it's the best thing i own it's a bag on wheels And it has um, a nice big pouch for all of my things and her things. It flips on its side. It has a nice handle. And it keeps her very comfortable when we're on the road. But I think about her her comfort and safety and how much I love her and how much I love traveling with her. And the idea of 
bowing down to an authority figure telling me to do something that puts her in harm's way is it, it blows my mind so um anyway that's my soapbox i call it an apple box whatever in other news i had a sandwich from a place in berkeley called the butcher's son i've been to also the butcher's daughter in new york it's a lot of vegetarian children of butchers around uh the butcher's son i had vegan mozzarella sticks and i had a vegan sandwich that had fried chicken bacon avocado lettuce tomato sourdough bread it was pretty good it was definitely a soy wheat gut bomb thank you to Gemma and anthony for taking me there okay i hope that you enjoy my talk with carrie brownstein and i hope that you are having some vegan frozen yogurt in your life have a good week Carrie Brownstein is a musician, writer, and actor from Portland and Los Angeles. She's in the band Slater Kinney, the show Portlandia, and is the author of the book Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl. You can watch Carrie on the eighth and final season of Portlandia right now. I caught up with her at Zebulon, which is a bar slash event space in Los Angeles, before Weirdo Night, a comedy and variety show hosted by Dynasty Handbag, aka Jibs Cameron. I thought perhaps we could sit in a corner and sip drinks quietly while we answered advice, but in fact, the corner we sat in was adjacent to some free-range children ages 2 through 6 who were practically killing themselves by trying to pull an oil heater down atop of them while we talked about three ways. So you will hear a little bit of that child screaming in the background, but I promise their screaming was so loud that they were not scandalized by any of our advice. Now, please enjoy my talk with Carrie Brownstein. Carrie Brownstein, welcome to Sagittarius Matters. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. We're here to answer some advice. Yes, we are. Uh, Would you like me to read this letter that you received? Yes. All right. Dear Nicole, my partner and I have recently made a new friend, a decades younger, insanely pretty, smart queer person in a couple open relationships. She is seriously adorable and we think flirty with us and we are interested in having a makeout party with her, but we are afraid of coming off as elderly creeps misreading her friendship. What to do? Okay. I, all right. What do you think? I wish when she says elderly creeps, that feels subjective to me. Like, first of all, I'm just curious. Like, is this just something in their heads? Like, are they like five years older than this girl? this person you know what I mean or at least a decade I hope it's a decade because otherwise I think just let the creep thing go I would say remove creep from the equation yeah because I think it's you know I mean I don't know I feel like young people I think aren't thinking aren't caring it's the it's the older it's them that are might be overthinking this well yeah like anytime I've had a crush on an older person I understand that they're old And then I still have the crush and engage with them anyway. And I don't have flirtatious energy with every old person. Mm -hmm. It's just ones that I think are hot. Yeah, and I think this is a good opportunity to practice and embrace a youthful spirit. If you're feeling old and creepy, this is a good time to let go of both those adjectives and just say, like, no, we're young and bold. And we're at least going to act young and bold in this situation. Listen, you can, there is a whole spectrum before it gets to creepy, before it gets to lascivious, before it gets to inappropriate. There's, there's flirtation, there's conversation, there's conjecture, just asking either in a subtle way or a forward way, I think without 
embarrassing anyone. I have a feeling this younger person will laugh it off if it is something that they've never considered. Or maybe their game. Yeah. But I think it's it's time to embrace the joie de vivre of youth and go ahead and just and check it out. And do it in a in a forward like way that's unequivocal. Just ask the question. Well that's a, I thought maybe they should ask her I thought I like a I like a weird coy way of I thought they should just ask her like, are we flirting? <laughs> or like are you flirting? Are you flirting with us? Or like is this flirting? I think I would just ask like this is what seems like it's happening. Is that what's happening? Right, because then if she says no to flirting, well then she's definitely also not doing other things. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think I think that's solid advice. Is just start with establishing if you guys are experiencing the same reality. <laughs> Cuz maybe she's doing this with everyone. Maybe yeah. her bank teller and the, you know, the person that checks her out at the grocery store is also like, is this girl flirting with me? Maybe she just is like really positive out and outgoing and like has like a, an eye that winks every once in a while. I, there's something called, have you heard STD? It's sexual attention disorder. It's in the lesbian lexicon. It's essentially those people that have sexual attention with everybody. So anyone you ask in the room would be like, yeah, I think that we're going to have sex, but I never thought that before. Right. And I think that some people, and, and not in a, I'm not saying this in a judgmental way, do go through the world sort of using their outgoingness and their flirtatious nature as like a means of communicating. Okay, there's someone yelling mommy um, next to us right now, um, which um, is, makes me feel like a creep. Speaking of creep, I'm talking about a threesome while a kid yells mommy next to me. But the kid doesn't even care. They're kind of interested and curious about what we were doing. While you were talking about the threesome, one of them kind of stood behind you with his French fry. Because <laughs> maybe he had the same question. I don't know. Yeah, well, he's having a threesome with a French fry himself and ostensibly his greasy fingers, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so what wording would you use to make this as, like, open-ended but not pressure, but, like, maybe we can still salvage the friendship? Right. Well, I think I second your suggestion which is to couch it as a flirting issue and yeah. so if they said to this person um we feel like you're flirting with us true or false we feel like you're flirting oh. which is also a playful way and then they could say false or hmm, what do you mean or or you could if you don't want to be that bold you could say um I don't know. I actually think that something kind of straight up is good. Yeah. Because I was trying to, like, make it more, like, softer or something. Like, hey, you just don't want to sound processy. I would, like, really avoid that feeling of, hey, we've been talking about this. <laughs> and we were wondering if you were flirty. Um, <laughs> one, one thing someone said to me once was, kind of seems like we're going to make out right now. Which I thought was, like, a bold move because I actually hadn't considered the fact that we might make out at all. And then suddenly it was on the table and it was kind of on me to determine whether we were going to make out or not. So you guys could say, hey, it kind of seems like you're flirting with us right now. Mm-hmm. And then they could say, what? No, I'm not. Or really? And then that could be the conversation opener. Oh, I think it's good because then it, it, it lays the groundwork for them to be like, well, maybe I am or, you know, whatever. And then they could see where that goes. I mean, the roundabout way is to get into like a general conversation about threesomes and open relationships and just say like, so have you ever, oh, wait, didn't they say that this person already is in open relationships? I think the person's polyamorous or something. Right. But not necessarily with a couple. Right. You guys could also just say, have you ever dated a couple before? Or have you ever hooked up with a couple before? That's so bold. I've never been in a couple where we've been like, let's 
Like, we've, I've always been in couples where we made a joke about going up to somebody saying, like, can we buy you a drink? Yeah. Because that happened to us on tour, where a tour mate of mine, the code word was milkshake. Because two different tour mates of mine had been approached by the same couple in, like, Salt Lake City or something. And the couple was like, you have a beautiful voice. Can we buy you a milkshake? Okay, I have a really, like, it's, I wouldn't call it manipulative, but just, like, a far-fetched version of this. Which is that you guys make up that you have recently had or experienced or considering some kind of third in general. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we had this crazy thing happen the other week. This girl or this person was totally hitting on us. And I think they were like maybe flirting with us and they kind of, you know, they might have wanted to have like a threesome or make out. And then you can take the temperature of the situation. And see, she's like, ew, <laughs> you gave vows. <laughs> yeah. Like monogamy is sacred. That's breaking the marital bonds. Yeah, so that's a that's a third option where you present a hypothetical situation. It's like an exercise in a in a scholastic book, and they're like, Shane and Judy were. <laughs> you just take the temperature of the room. Yeah, take the temperature. I think that I think in in multiple ways we're saying take the temperature, yeah. engage what the temperature is, and if the temperature's hot, you know, put your finger to the fire. <laughs> I just imagine as they're like laying this out and they're taking the temperature, they're each sitting on either side of her and they both slowly put their hand on her leg, simultaneously, like choreographed, synchronized, hand on the leg, eye contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, <laughs> that's definitely like the visual of it. I think, but you know, careful, but careful about a premature touch too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. She may she may yell, "Me too, me too," and she doesn't like that. Yeah. Or they could just each reach across. She, the, This person could still be in the middle, and they could reach across and hold hands with each other and see if she puts her hand in there as a third. If they just yell dog pile or something, they just see what happens. Yeah. Her putting her hand as the third. There's something about the third that always sounds so funny to me, like a little bit awkward. Yeah, because it's a six-legged lover. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, whoa. Also, I mean, I don't know if... I, I just think also something to consider. One reason I've never had a threesome is I just think too many genitals, right? Like, it's just it's just an extra thing. So I, I would really just sit and talk to your partner for a second first and be like, do we want a third? This is not just... This is not just sexy. This is this could also be like a logistical issue. You know, you got an extra mouth, two other arms. She may whatever. I'm not making any assumptions about how many limbs she has, but yeah. whatever. Just extra things, extra things. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what's gonna happen. It's yeah. a lot. Like you can maybe again, you have to go home and choreograph it. Yeah. You know, like what do you, what do I want you to do? What do I want to do? How do I feel comfortable? I don't know. All right. What's the next question? The next question's like this one was like exciting. The next one might be more of a bummer. Dear Nicole. I've been with my partner for two years, and I don't feel into them or into our relationship anymore. Not for any good reason, and they're an objectively good partner. My partner and I talked about this and decided to do more fun things. I enjoy our relationship during the fun things and feel good after them. And then I wake up gloomy the next morning in bed next to them, feeling morose about our relationship. What should I do? Well, first of all, I want to commend your your effort. I think that a lot of people get to this place that I would characterize as ennui or disinterest or even a, a low-grade depression and just kind of give up on it immediately or sort of retreat or recede and, and kind of sort of back your way out of relationship. I feel like doing something fun is proactive, um, but I agree with Nicole that um, I don't think that is going to be a cure-all. I think the, the first thing, though, to assess is is your sense of malaise and disinterest 
you or is it the relationship? Because I would say as someone who has struggled with anxiety and depression that that can like sort of change the color of a relationship. It can kind of go from feeling vivid to, you know, just just having everything kind of possesses a gray when you're depressed. So the first thing to figure out is are you struggling already with something that might be affecting your relationship? If you're not, then it is definitely time to examine why in relation to this person you're not happy. Or um, And it doesn't have to be their fault, so you shouldn't feel bad. Sometimes things just aren't working out. Sometimes something doesn't make you happy. Sometimes people grow in different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, incompatibilities uh, develop. Um, I think... I mean, I think you're, you're definitely headed down a path where I, I feel like you're a sensitive person, right? This seems like a sensitive person, and, and I sense that you're someone who, who could be honest and is capable of honesty. And um, I think if you assess that this is really just about your relationship to your partner, then maybe it's time um, if you feel like you've made an effort to move on. And yeah. I, I know that's hard. I also... Do they live together? Right. That's what I have the sense when he says he wakes up the next morning. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, again, I I don't... I'm not someone that says, you got to stick it out. You got to, you know... I don't know how old this person is. This person could be 22, you know. Um, Two years is a long time, but it's also not a huge time in in, um, relation to the rest of our lives, hopefully. So, you know, um, but maybe you guys are living together or spending too much time together if you're living together then probably by default you're spending a lot of time together or too much yeah um and i know it's tricky to reverse things people like to think of relationships as linear you go from dating to living together to getting married to having kids yeah um and die together and then that's it and that's a successful relationship yeah but you know sometimes you need to change course now i don't again like you could also do sort of a trial period like you know what let's not live together and take a little break give it two months give it you know longer give it six months or whatever just give it a time set up a time frame that you guys both agree upon and see if some of your feelings of fondness and fun return you know like Esther Perel always talks about like wanting to like make that step forward you know and I do think that's important desire is important and when you live with someone and you're around them 24 7 sometimes yeah it's hard to be like think like wow this is fun (laughs) those kids are having fun it's because they don't live with their partners they live with siblings and their parents yeah yeah but they're they're not you know they're not in relationships that's why they're so happy they are so happy i mean it is yeah, like as a joke, like my friend Allie, who we're gonna see do comedy tonight, referred to living together as getting a clitoridectomy. It's like a little bit. I don't. I mean, this person didn't even ask this, but I feel like that that kid is expressing how it can feel sometimes to live with somebody. But I feel like gay people sometimes or queer people cannot treat they do not treat living together like getting married. But it's actually that level of commitment because you're saying like. We need to be able to stick it out when we're like when you can smell my farts, like all the time, like when you when the mystery is gone, because you know exactly what I look like when I go to sleep, when I wake up, you know the exact process of me getting ready, and then looking like a normal person, like everything, all breath, all smells, all sounds, all horde, all family, like everything is getting dumped on this relationship, and sometimes people jump in there when they're still in liberance, and they're not ready to like 
take on that level of sense and responsibility and bummer. Yeah. And so it's okay to say like, oh my God, I liked dating you. It seems like really a lot mm-hmm. for me to wet all my problems and logistics with our romance and also i mean we don't know how long we're only assuming that you live together if you don't live together then the first thing would be to just spend a little less time together and see if some of that a more boundary relationship helps and and if you if you are living together which is our guess think about whether the problem started once you guys started living together this feeling of disinterest um and if that's the case and if there's something worth saving then yeah move out or have your partner move out and then see what happens then because um, it sounds like, I mean, your sense of guilt or, you know, I, there's just something in your, your tone and that makes me think that part of you hopes this could work or, the, or at least part of you hopes that you might feel differently. Now, if you don't feel hope and you're only operating from a place of guilt, you need to let yourself off the hook. Not all relationships work. Sometimes you're not getting what you need. Sometimes you're not able to be your best self with someone. That's all okay. That's all part of life. Um, and speaking of ouch, which is probably how your heart feels, we just saw a child prick his finger on a cactus. <laughs> and just start yelling, ouch, ouch, ouch. But what I like about kids is that, like, he's just standing in, in the middle of a restaurant yelling ouch, which is essentially what you're doing about this relationship. You're just standing there yelling ouch, and we're saying, you know what? If it hurts, get out. No, take, it doesn't matter where the cactus spine came from. Take it out. Yeah. Just deal with it. You know, JD was on the podcast before, and she was reading some codependency book that said, if you're making a decision out of guilt, then you already know the answer to the decision or to the to the question. Wait, she said that on her own volition, or she she, she, she that? She read that in a codependency book. Okay, because I was like, wow, that is some really high-level thinking and that JD is totally capable of, but it sounds so therapeutic that I yeah. thought, how does she know this? Yeah. But it comes from a book. You know what? I think that's very true. Yeah. Nothing guilt guilt as a motivator is just that's a dead end. That's yeah. a dead end and all it does is lead to, to darker paths of resentment. And resentment cuz you ugh, you don't want to build up resentment towards your partner. You want to deal with everything as it comes because that can lead you to an even darker place where you're doing things you're not proud of because you feel resentment and then you feel entitled to those experiences and hurts everybody. So also, I should just say, if you're staying in it for someone else, just know that they also want something better and different. Yeah, and, and let them be free to find that. Let them be free to find somebody who actually enjoys them, all that doesn't wake up feeling morose next to them based on them being there. Like, there's people that I've dated that I've been like, on paper, this is great, and then but they really bugged me. And then we broke up, and they found people who they didn't bug. People who were, like, delighted and excited and felt so lucky to get to be with them. And I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah, so you might be actually freeing both yourself and your partner up for a world of new love and possibilities that you can't even imagine right now. Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of Stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, please, please 
please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and blue apron and whatever, but in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Mary Pinson, Christy Harrod, and Madeline Berger. Do you have any last-minute tips for long-distance relationships? I have a theory that long-distance relationships are like having a girlfriend app or a boyfriend app that just kind of, like, gives you your hit of oxytocin a few times a day. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to... Well, there was actually a sketch I wanted to write, but I think you could also just do this as an app. It's called Miss Lonely Texts. And it's just, you know how you, like... I think the, the weirdest, the most surreal kind of abstract thing about um, long-distance relationships is so much of it is mediated through a screen. And, you know, whether it's texting or Skype or, you know, FaceTime. And especially with text where you're not, you know, the, per- the person is, you know, not, there's no visual component. I mean, that that could be anything or anyone. And I think that's what is, I think sometimes disheartening about long distance. You just think, when I land in a, on a plane, all I want is someone to text, landed. Yeah. Uh, or you want to text, good night or good morning. So my Miss Lonely Text app is just an app. You just text to a number. Yeah. And it says landed and they write back and they say... <laughs> Great. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> Safe flight. Yeah. Safe oh. flight. Good night, X. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. That's essentially what's going on sometimes. I, yeah, and I do and I think what's what's strange about it is that like how soothing that is for people to have someone sort of this abstract idea that someone in another city is there to receive a text that says good night or morning. Yeah. So if, if you want to do that, but without sort of the um, trials and tribulations of long distance, um, check out my new app in the App Store, which is, doesn't exist yet. Or, Miss Lonely app? Yeah, the Miss Lonely app. Miss Lonely text. Okay. Yeah. Works. Okay. I, I want to say, Dr. Laura has been saying, I've been listening to Dr. Laura again. She's been saying that distance, long distance relationships are for people that are um, avoidant of closeness um, and intimacy. And as someone who travels a lot, I really struggle with that. Yeah. And I don't even I don't even know what to say to Dr. Laura. She's not here, but I'm just I'm telling you. Yeah, and I that's her proxy. <laughs> I think we, as we did talk about this during our our free time um our um I do think that there is that, that there's a conventional mindset that says that you know, long distance is an indicator of um aversion to intimacy, but I do think that people that lead more unconventional lives like you or I who travel a lot who t- tend to be attracted to other people who travel and have more itinerant lives, that it's not necessarily an indication of that. There is a, something practical and pragmatic about it that would be the same for someone who, you know, works in an office and wants to date someone else who has a similar life. I mean, it's looking for commonalities and looking for shared interests. And so I, I don't, I don't want to sort of like pathologize it in a way that's negative. Yeah. Um, I think there are, um, it's a tricky prospect as we both know, long distance, but you know, there are, there are a lot of pluses to it as well. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? You don't know this probably, but Dr. Laura has a pink 
Harley trike. Then she loves to go on Harley trips. She thinks Harley people are the best. She thinks, like, bikers are such an awesome people, and they're so patriotic, and they're so giving and generous. She loves riding with them on her Harley. And I think if she met a Harley person in a nearby town on one of her trips, I don't think that she would say no to that. I'm just going to say. Yeah, so, you, so, you know, you got to find your own Harley person. And they might live next door. Or they might live in South Dakota, where a lot of those Harley people are. It's true. It's true. Well, thanks for your advice. I think I think that we solved some problems. I think we did, too. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.